0: Hello, my name is Ian. The Old Testament reading is found in Genesis 15one through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Linda. The New Testament reading is found in Romans 4, 1 to 3. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is David. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Luke chapter 15, verses 20 to 24. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And they began to celebrate the gospel of the Lord.
1: Father in heaven, we thank you this day that we can look into your word and we can look into your face. Speak to us, we pray, by your word and by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. Oh, uh, It's such a delight to be here. I always love the opportunities to preach. Today is a little unique because... Uh, This Wednesday, I'm having arthroscopic knee surgery, and so I'm kind of limping, and I have my brace, and Glenn really thought I should preach with my cane, which is right over there in case I need it. He said it would give me great street cred with all of you if I did. On the other hand, uh, Steve, who is one of our worship leaders, who's about my age, said no, it'll just make you look old. So I'm, I'm opting for not needing it unless I do, in which case somebody will toss it to me. We are continuing in our series in Genesis that Glenn was in last week. he was in Genesis 14, and today we're going to look at Genesis chapter 15. The Old Testament reading was por- a portion of our text that we'll look at. This is a pivotal chapter in theological history. You saw the New Testament reading where Paul in the beginning of the Gospel of Rome or the Epistle to the Romans, he references this this particular passage in Genesis 15, and it is from this passage that Paul begins what will become his eloquent discourse on justification by faith. It is this very chapter in Genesis that was part of the the tsunami that became the Protestant Reformation. When Martin Luther, a a young monk from uh, eastern Germany, saw this passage in Scripture and In contrast to the medieval Catholicism that was bound into a works rather than a grace theology, Luther began to understand that we are saved and justified by faith alone. So it's a powerful and profound theological chapter. However, today, I don't want to spend the bulk of my time on the theology, and don't get me wrong. I am one of those theology nerds, and I love theology. But I think there is a pastoral purpose also in this portion of Scripture that I want to take a few moments and look at. And I want to start with a a true story. Some of you know that uh, I participate in a weekly newspaper column in the Colorado Springs Independent. Others of you are saying, isn't that that crazy liberal weekly newspaper? I've been afraid to touch it, you know. I actually had somebody when we were... Uh, serving communion and praying, someone came up for prayer and said, are you the same Stephen Todd that writes in The Independent? I said, I am. And she said, I've always wanted to read one of them, but I'm afraid to actually touch the paper. <laughs> and I said, it won't burn you. It is free. You can take it. Having said that, this week our column is not in there. It's the first time this year that it hasn't been. But uh, I share it with several other uh Christian leaders, Jim Daly from Focus on the Family and myself and another friend, Eric Sanders, are the three people who would represent biblical Christianity, and the others are a pagan, a Unitarian minister, an agnostic religion professor, and a Buddhist religion professor. Uh, so it kind of rounds it out a little bit, and we all have fun. Well, about a year ago, that same group began to to tape a weekly radio show. Colorado Public Radio and Rocky Mountain PBS was extremely generous in giving us a forum, and it's on, if you're ever interested, it's on Wednesdays, I think at 1 o'clock on KCMJ, uh, or you can go to their website, kcmj.org, and on demand you can actually listen to it. It's a one-hour show called In Good Faith, Conversation at the Crossroads of Religion. And there we have an opportunity to expand and to push back, and I will say this, We're friends, and we're trying to demonstrate how we can, in a very civil and gracious way, express our differences, and yet still communicate in a caring and and kind way. It's not live in that we do tape it ahead of time, but because we don't have any post-production budget, it is taped live. Does that make sense? So we tape it with the commercial breaks and everything, and so what you say is what's going to be on the radio. And so... I don't know if it, if it aired last week or it's going to air soon, but from some time ago, one of the questions that was posed to us was, what do you think about miracles? And so, of course, we had a lively discussion. We were talking about healing. And not to anybody's surprise, my pagan friend believes that she has seen lots of miracles. You know, and, and my progressive liberal Somewhat Christian slash agnostic friend was questioning whether there were any miracles, and you know, and we're going back and forth with this. And one friend who I've known for many years here in town, uh, she's been a a civic leader for many years. She is the minister of a Unitarian church. She is a self um, identified lesbian, and she used to minister within a, a gay and lesbian church organization. And she said, I stopped being a Christian because i saw god not filling his promises or fulfilling his promises and this is on the radio and so she began to talk and and i understand some of you are thinking all the theological reasons you would give her well just hold on to those okay uh, as i'm listening this is what she said she said she was involved in one of these churches in in, um, another part of the country back in the 90s when scores and scores of young gay men were first contracting and dying of AIDS. And she felt that God had given her a promise that if they would pray for these young men they would get healed. And she said week after week after week we prayed for dozens and dozens and dozens of these young men and none of them were healed and I did all of their funerals and that's when I stopped being a Christian. Now, that was not the time and place for me to push back theologically. I just listened, and I told her that I was very sorry that that had been her experience, and I have enough of a friendship with her. I know we can continue this, and we have continued this conversation, not on the air. Uh, It's always a little awkward when it's live on the air, but that reminded me of another incident, another friend. Uh, Somebody I grew up with in the Jesus movement back in California, and he and I were Just on fire for God and on fire with the love of Jesus. We all got married young back then. It's because we all thought that the Lord was going to return and the rapture was going to happen so quickly. We wanted to experience marriage, and so we called it the rapture rush. And we all got married, you know, 20 years old, 21. We were, I mean, seriously, we were kids. And they got married a year or so before us, and, you know, we all started having kids. And one of their children early on started exhibiting some kinds of social and developmental uh, disabilities and issues. And fast forward quite a few years, he then came to a point where he simply has stopped being a Christian. And when asked why, he simply says, I believed that God had given me the promise that he would heal my son, and he has not healed my son, and therefore I don't believe in that God. And I suspect that each of you knows someone and some of you are sitting here today feeling a bit that same way. You really thought God had promised something and you you clung to it and you haven't seen it come to pass. Maybe it's having a child, maybe it's a child being healed. Maybe it's a loved one being healed from a disease. Maybe it's a job opportunity. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a marriage. I don't know what those things are, but I want to say, not only do I understand, and not only do the people, your brothers and sisters around you understand, I want to take a moment and go back and look at this pivotal chapter in biblical history and to see how much God even understands that. You see, Abram and Sarah were called out by God, and in Genesis 12, where Pastor Glenn was a few weeks ago, God promises that even though they are old, even though it seems like they are past childbearing age, and they are barren, they have no child, which it it was such a stigma in that time and in that place, God said, you're going to have many, many children and grandchildren and descendants. Well, here we are in chapter 15, and nothing's happened. Okay, You see, the promise of Yahweh, of God, stood over against the reality of their barrenness. And as one author put it, it's part of the destiny of our common faith that those who believe the promise and hope against barrenness nevertheless must often still live with that barrenness. And I want to look at a quote from one of my favorite uh, scholars, uh, Dr. Walter Brueggemann. Uh, I know Pastor Glenn and I are using his uh, commentary series for this series in Genesis. But I want to read this quote by him about Abram. It says, Why and how does one continue to trust solely in a promise when the evidence against the promise is all around? Is it this? It is this scandal that is faced by Abram here, and it is in his embrace of the scandal and response of belief and faith That makes him the father of our faith. That's pretty profound. You see, Abram was able to look squarely, as it were, in the eyes of Yahweh and say, This hasn't happened yet. Nevertheless, I believe. Let's go back to that passage that was read in our um, Old Testament reading, Genesis 15. And I want to just point a few things out that you may not see right away in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. This is not a narrative of an actual event in chapter 15, though we often think of it that way. This, it says in the beginning of the chapter, was a vision, okay? It was a, a picture that God inspired, and Abram sees this whole narrative play out in this vision, okay? Okay? And he says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. And this is now the first time since we've met Abram, He'll be, his name will be changed to Abraham in a couple chapters from here. This is the first time he talks back to God. You see, in all of the other experiences, he obeys silently. He doesn't actually speak to God. So here we have Abram's first time to actually speak to this God who has revealed himself to Abram. And God says, "Great is going to be your reward. You're going to have kids. It's going to be wonderful." And look what Abram says. Abram says, "Verse two: O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, a distant relative." And Abram said, "So this is his second comment to God. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir." Now, it seems like what Abram is saying essentially here is, hey, you promised all this, but none of it's happening. I was counting on it, and it's not happening. Two times he repeats himself as if to say, yeah, I've heard it, but I don't see anything changing in my life. Have you ever known that frustration, that disappointment? I was actually amazed a little bit after the first service the number of people that approached me, and it's not uncommon when you when you preach, people will come and say nice things. That's kind of the code of how to get out of church, you know, is tell the pastor he did okay, you know. But I had a number of people come up to me and tell me their stories of disappointment with God, and how it was it was right where they were at. And I thought, gosh, if Abram, the father of our faith, do you realize there are three great monotheistic religions in the world that all look to abraham as the father of their faith of course judaism and christianity but islam also looks to abraham as the father of the faith so here the father of the faith his opening words to god are hey you want to explain this to me You want to tell me why, what I thought you said you were going to do, you haven't done. Last time I checked, it's still not happening. Now, here's a spoiler alert. It's still going to take to chapter 21 before Isaac is even born. So he's still got some time where he's going to continue on and not see anything happen. And yet, God reiterates the promise again in verses 4 and 5. And God says, you know, no. That man won't be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And then God takes him outside, look at the stars and number them if you can. Uh, He said, So sure. Of course, I grew up in Southern California with all the smog and all the light noise. Growing up as a kid, I always thought that meant Abraham would have about four kids because that's all the stars I could see. Uh, (laughs) Moving to Colorado, I realized, especially you get out in the mountains and you're camping, there's a lot more stars. okay? And it says in verse 6 this is so remarkable. And he believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Righteousness means a holy and pure standing before God. All Abram did was exhale and say, okay, God, I'm in. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now think about that. It wasn't works. It wasn't sacrifice. It wasn't anything else. It was just Abram's acquiescence to God's faithfulness, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the rest of the chapter is an unusual one, and we aren't going to show it on the slides, but if you have your Bible uh, in digital or or linear form and can turn to Genesis 15, we're just going to quickly glance through that. The rest of this vision is rather detailed description of how Abram is going to take sacrificial animals and he's going to cut them in half and and arrange them so there's a path in the middle and it's a strange custom it would seem it says t- he takes a um, heifer that's three years old a female goat a ram a turtle dove a young pigeon why do you want to sacrifice a pigeon uh, you know on the other hand we have a few black squirrels in our backyard I wouldn't mind sacrificing right now they're really not nice. Have you noticed that? The gray squirrels are okay. The black ones are mean, you know? Anyway, so he what what is it with cutting the animals? I mean, you know, killing them and then cutting them in half. And then and he even paints a a very um powerful picture. It says that Abram is then scaring away all the birds of prey as they try to land on the dead animal carcasses. So you see this dust and the sun beating down. It's late in the day, and he's, he's cutting these animal pieces up, and then the, you know, crows are coming in, and he's, you know, scattering the crows, and all this is going on. Well, in ancient times, a covenant or a contract, when it was made, often they would actually kill an animal, and then that was to say Whichever one of us breaks this covenant, may what happened to that animal happen to him. Aren't you glad now all that happens is you go to small claims court, you know? But there's this really strange, you know, ceremony, as it were. And so Abram must have been thinking as he's cutting it, God's telling him to do this, okay, God and I are going to enter into a covenant, God's going to do this, I'm going to do this. God's conditions are this, my conditions are this. God does this, I do this. But that's not how it happens. It tells us around verse uh, 12, find it here. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and dreadful darkness came on him. And then at that point, the Lord moves through those sacrificial animals while Abram is in this deep, unconscious state. You know what that means? It means it's a one-sided covenant. It wasn't, Abraham, if you do this, I'll do this. It was God saying, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And I'll even take the sacrifice necessary upon my own Amen. life for, not, if, if for you not doing your part. Now, we're going to fast forward a little bit because this is such a profound statement there's a word that doesn't appear here, but it appears over a hundred times in the rest, actually a couple hundred times in the rest of the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word hesed. I've actually preached on this word before. Psalm 136 is that famous uh, Psalm of Thanksgiving where it retells all of Israel's history. And at the, the second line of every verse is, and his love endures forever, and his love endures forever. The word love or mercy or steadfast love, is probably better translated covenant loyalty. You see, it's the kind of loyalty that says, even if you fall, I'm still going to be there. Even if you're disappointed, I'm still going to be there. Even if you feel as though I've abandoned you, I am still going to be there. It's the kind of love, relentless love, that we saw in our gospel reading, whereby and you're familiar with that wonderful story, often called the prodigal son, whereby in a long distance away, the father sees him and runs to greet him. Now, I want to go real quickly through a little Old Testament history. The children of Israel, after, you know, Abram in chapter 21, they have Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. How many sons does Jacob have? Twelve. And those 12 sons become the tribes of Israel, you know, and all those things happen. And you have Joseph, and they, then they're taken into slavery in Egypt, and then God raises up Moses, and they go through the Red Sea, and Charlton Heston, and remember all those things, you know... And so then they come back into the promised land, and and, and so they have a period of time where they have a king, Saul, it doesn't work out so well, they have David, that works out pretty well, you know, David's son Solomon, after that it goes south, and not only does it go south, but when you fast forward about 1,200 years, the kingdom is now split, okay, between uh, Israel to the north and, and Judah to the south. And God is still continuing to raise up prophets to say God loves you and hasn't given up on you and is still in covenant relationship with you. But we come to this very unusual prophet by the name of Hosea. Hosea is one of the minor prophets, which does not mean that he didn't get a major league contract. It just means that it's a smaller scroll. That's all it means. Now, I just want to read a couple of verses in Hosea. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. God said, The way my people are treating me is just like an unfaithful marriage. It's as if they are prostituting themselves at the altar of other gods. And so, Hosea, you're a godly man, you're an upright man, as a living prophecy to the people, I want you to go out and marry this very immoral prostitute woman, and you're going to have a child through her, and we see in the book of Hosea this horrible cycle. He loves her, he accepts her, he has a ch- her uh, she has his child, and yet every chance she gets, she runs away from him and goes back into her prostitution. And every time, he goes back and accepts her back. One time, he has to pay someone. She has gotten herself in what today we would call a sex trafficking kind of a situation, and he actually has to pay to get his wife back out. We read in Hosea chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, one of those many stories. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man. He's talking about his wife. And as an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. And of course I went, what's with the raisins? So I did a little searching, quickly and found that raisin cakes were in the ancient world considered aphrodisiac that was even used in pagan religious ceremonies. And so God is telling Hosea, she did it again, you go, you pay the money, you do what you have to do, you bring her back. Because that's what God was doing to Israel time and time again. And Gomer, the, the, the broken, shame-filled, and yet rebellious prostitute wife, finding herself once again in that horrible situation, and he comes and he pays the money and he accepts her back. All she has to do is accept his rescue, and it was counted to her as righteousness. She did not do anything. She just said, I believe, and it was counted to her as righteousness. We fast forward to Jeremiah chapter 31, where he's prophesying really of of Jesus. And he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. You see, he's making a new covenant. His covenant loyalty is is pursuing them. And so, Abram starts this encounter with God saying, you promised, and it hasn't happened. And God says, I'm going to do it. But it hasn't happened. And then God says, I will do it. And Abram says, okay, I'm in. And God says, that's counted as righteousness. The people of Israel in this horrible situation simply accept God's rescue, and it's counted to them as righteousness. And now in these words... We hear in Jeremiah, we think of the words of Jesus in the New Covenant. The Bible is not a fragmented collection of books, but it's a tapestry. It's many stories that tell the story. And so we read again in Luke 15 when Jesus tells the story of the lost son that we heard. And you remember that that wonderful story where the the young man, you know, he's... Incredulous. he's immature, he's narcissistic, and he goes to his father, who's not even dead, and says, I want my share of the inheritance. And the father gives it to him, and he squanders it. And then he's in the pig's, pig pen, and he's starving, and he says, maybe my, my dad's servants have it better than me. Maybe I can go get hired on by his, his crew. And so he gets up, and it says that as he's walking, he's rehearsing the apology or the confession. Have you ever done that? Where you kind of rehearse what you're going to say? And he's rehearsing as he's talking, and that wonderful passage we heard read said, while he was a yet long ways off, the father saw him and ran to greet him. And so he immediately starts the rehearsed um, confession. Oh, Father, I've sinned against you. And and the father's not even listening at that point because it says the father said to his servants, go, get the fat cat, get the robe. And he embraces him. And I couldn't help but think of us today. I couldn't help but think every Sunday when we pray that prayer of confession. And I couldn't help but think you're sitting there and you're discouraged, or you're disappointed, or you want to give up on God, or you wonder why God hasn't come through with this, or why God hasn't answered that prayer, or how can God, and and all these feelings, and all this stuff, and all God wants us to do is just believe, and it's counted to us as righteousness, and so the picture I saw, the picture I saw was, you're sitting there, and the words are on the screen, and you start to pray, "Oh, most merciful God, and you don't get any farther than that. And God is right there with the robe. Amen. You don't even get the words out, I've sinned against you, and the Lord is there. The robe is around you, the sandals are on your feet, he's putting the ring. And all you can do is weep. And what do we do after that? Pastor Joey will lead us to the table in just a few minutes. And symbolically, he breaks the bread. Do you remember what Jesus did when Jesus reiterates that Jeremiah 31 passage. It says at the the last supper, it says he took the bread and he tore it. He broke it in two halves and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Just as the sacrificial animals were torn in two or cut in two and placed there for the presence of God to go through by himself in a one-way covenant, Jesus once again tears it in two and gives it to them and says, I'm going to be the sacrifice." for your sin and all they had to do was accept it and it was counted to them as righteousness all you do is you come forward and you have your hands outstretched and it's put in your hand and you dip it in the wine and you take it and it's counted to you as righteousness i'm not saying communion saves you i'm saying as god meets us because of his covenant loyalty all we do is believe all we do is say i'm in in the midst of my doubt, I believe. In the midst of my pain, I just say I'm in. And he gives us the grace right then and there. And so when I when I think of when I think of faith, faith in the face of unfulfilled promises. I think of how God has literally turned heaven and earth on its end so that God can carve out places and moments to meet us throughout our life. One of those for us is every Sunday at the table. Every every Sunday, I'm meeting you again. Those experiences where you just wonder why. I don't have an answer for you other than to say in the words of the wonderful, simple old chorus that Andre Crouch wrote that we used to sing in the Jesus movement, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there is no other. That is why I say, Jesus is the answer. As we're taking worship, and I'm so thankful for Caleb and Rachel leading us in worship today. It's such a joy to have them here. Um, you guys are going to get wasted because I was already at the first service. Um, that's probably not a surprise I was at the first service because they're singing that wonderful song about walking down the prodigal road. you know. And grace is the collision, <laughs> the collision when me in my desperate moment meet a God who's racing to greet me and put his arms around me and put the robe on me. And folks, when I'm looking across the, the the studio at a friend who gave up on God because of the disappointment, when I hear the stories of friends who've given up on God because of the disappointment, all I want to do is help them get in the trajectory of God because I know he's running toward them. I know he wants to embrace them with that robe, with those Sandals with that ring, and he wants to say, This is my daughter, this is my son who was dead and now is alive, and let's celebrate. And, folks, we're here to celebrate today. We are here to take a feast that is, in fact, a celebration of him meeting us, meeting us wherever we are. So, in a few moments, we're going to pray that prayer of confession, and Pastor Joy is going to lead us. But I want to set us up for the Holy Spirit right now. Because I actually believe that some of you aren't even going to get through the prayer of confession because there, there's going to be an overwhelming sense of his presence Amen. right in front of you. Amen. Oh, most merciful God, and he's right there. And you just got to shake your head yes, and he says, it's counted to you as Righteousness.